0: You're listening to Inside the Aluminum Tube. This podcast has adult language and sometimes contains graphic descriptions of accidents and incidents often resulting in death. If you're scared to fly, proceed with caution. Bank angle. Bank angle. Caution, terrain. Don't sink. Don't sink. Glide slow. Pull up. Wind shear. Wind shear. Sink rate. Pull up. Traffic. Traffic. That's
1: how that should start. Just I have a coffee date. At one forty. I uh, I don't want to look like shit. Please, <laughs> that's the opening to your podcast. Just, ah, have you ever seen? It's that already show? it's running
0: already. So, already.
1: smiling the last episode reminded me of that, where the host like. You know he makes people eat like hot wings, and he asks them questions, and he just sits there menacingly, knowing what's about to come. And that's that's your face. You're like about to tell me something tragic or like horrific. Yeah, he's he's,
0: in the last one though. I was I just wanted you to the shock and awe of it is good, but this one I can
1: tell he's got like this evil simmering.
0: I just wanted Energy. you to be shocked at the last one. I just wanted you to be like...
1: I am shocked. Oh, my God. Check out the last episode, guys. There's a twist ending. <laughs> Ooh.
0: All right. Welcome back to another episode. This is an aviation history podcast, which looks at aviation events like disasters, accidents, and incidents. I'm Shannon Baker. I'm your host. I'm the creator of the podcast. If you want to know about my qualifications, you'll have to listen to episode zero of this podcast. You can learn all about me there. I always have a co-host who is not an aviation expert. Their role is to ask questions that will help you better understand what actually happened. Uh, My co-host is uh, returning today. Olivia, start by telling us a little bit about yourself.
1: Okay. Hi, guys. Uh, So my name is Olivia Battles-Reap. I am a filmmaker based out of Georgia. I produce movies uh, right now. I'm working on an independent film still with uh, Kodak. We're also looking at developing a, a TV series that I've been working on. And you're a nanny. I am a nanny. It's no. that's the day job.
0: You gotta do something to support your film habit.
1: Exactly. All
0: right. So today we're gonna be talking about an airline flight called Pinnacle 3701. Okay. I just want to confirm you don't know what this is gonna be about.
1: No, I got I got no clue. Surprise me.
0: So here's how we do it. So we start with the date, tell a little bit about the aircraft, then we talk about mm-hmm. the company, and then we talk about the event, and then we talk about what's changed and how things are now.
1: Okay. Basically,
0: cool. that's that's how that's the flow. Are you ready to get started?
1: I'm ready to get started.
0: So last time we covered something that happened in 1987. Yep. This one is October 14th,
1: 2004. Ooh, okay. So we're moving up.
0: Yeah. So a little newer, right? The airplane. So let's talk about the airplane. And remember that I always post images on my Instagram page so that you brave travelers can see the aircraft that we're talking about. hmm Okay. So this time the aircraft is a CRJ-200. It comes from the Bombardier CRJ-100-200 family. It's a family of twin jet regional airliners. Okay. It's based on the design of the Challenger 600, which was a business jet, but then it was stretched 20 feet, and obviously it had some changes. Can
1: you just casually stretch a plane 20 feet? What do you mean they I, stretched I it 20 they, feet?
0: They kind of just added like They a, just
1: expanded the design. That's just... where my concern already lies.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they stuck a pl- mm. they stuck like a fuselage plug in there to make it 20 feet longer. And when they did that, they modified the wings and they okay. modified the fuel a little bit. Improved landing gear to handle the weight. They had added um, some exit doors, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. 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 So you're ready to see a picture of the airplane?
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. So like fairly standard.
0: These are still in service today.
1: Yeah, I recognize those. Yeah. they got the. I like them because they got the nice like tail wing swoopy swoop.
0: And it's actually, they're actually kind of big inside as well. They're pretty comfortable to ride in. It weighs about 53,000 pounds at its max weight. It's powered by GE jet engines. The CRJ200, so the one I showed you, specifically that one ended production in 2006, but that fleet is still in use today.
1: Like why'd they end production? Just upgrading models?
0: Yeah, just upgraded models, right? Okay, There's more variants of that airplane that are still in production. The 700 and the 900 are still in production. Um, the 200 just ended in 2006, but they've updated those airplanes and they're still flying. Mod- flying. They modernized them and they're still flying. Awesome. Okay, so the company, uh, Pinnacle Airlines, at the time it was based in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota, Minnesota. Yeah, and that it was, was a nice accent
1: there. Right? Did that come out naturally or was that for? I used to
0: spend summers in Minnesota. So oh, okay. With my mm. family. That's kind of where my mom is from. So
1: it's coming together now. Uh, it
0: just kind of stuck.
1: Ooh. That's a little weird.
0: Came out. Okay. It was a regional airline, basically. Okay. They operated for the now absorbed Northwest Airlines. They merged with Delta. Mm-hmm. And Pinnacle Airlines is still in business, but they changed the name to Endeavor Air. So they just changed the name.
1: Sounds more modern. I get it.
0: Yeah. And now it operates as a Delta Express carrier.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Now here's a really generic name. It was founded as Express Airlines 1
1: Ooh. in 1985. See, that's either generic or it sounds like some transport from a sci-fi movie. It's just their Express, you know, <laughs> number one. They have like 12. They put a
0: one after. I just don't understand why they would have one after it. That's you know what? It's so weird. They
1: had bad marketing. Okay.
0: They changed the name to Pinnacle in 2002.
1: It's better-ish.
0: I didn't know exactly how many planes... And pilots they had i kind of looked at their history and i'm gonna estimate that they had around 40 aircraft at the time
1: okay not a big not really big but they were doing okay
0: they're doing fine so in 2012 uh pinnacle's parent company pinnacle airlines corporation they filed for chapter 11 reorganization now they are a wholly owned subsidiary of delta airlines something funny that I that I found in my in my research. Here's a little morbid fact. The CEO at the time of this event was killed in 2018 in Memphis, Tennessee in a drive-by shooting. What? Isn't that weird? Okay. It's just what the research I just the found. The research just found. I just found something and I was like, "Okay, let's let me just bring fun this up." Fun facts with Shannon. Exactly, little fun fact, killed in a drive-by. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Ooh, we're going there. Okay, so the crew. Okay. The only persons on board the flight 3701 were the two pilots.
1: Why are you giving me like no multiple deaths here? What? <sighs> okay.
0: You wanted a tragedy.
1: I wanted a tragedy, Shannon. <laughs> I wanted you to cry.
0: Oh, I, I cried in the yes. one. I think that's enough. So there were two pilots on board, a captain and a first officer. The captain was 31. The first officer was 23. Neither had a a lot of jet experience.
1: Good, good, good. Yeah. Sounding great. Good start. mm -hmm. Okay.
0: They both came from a company called Gulfstream International Airlines, which is different than Gulfstream Aerospace. Let me tell you about Gulfstream International Airlines for a minute, okay?
1: Ooh, tell me. Tell me more.
0: In the 2000s, Gulfstream International Airlines was a pay-to-work program.
1: Sounds safe.
0: Pilots paid up to $15,000 to be allowed to ride in the right seat of a Beach 1900 turboprop. Dude, that. that sounds like the big
1: yoga of planes
0: like the beach 1900 you can do
1: this but you got to give me fifteen thousand dollars.
0: exactly what isn't that a scam what a scam
1: that's like a lame triangle scheme
0: gulfstream international airlines operated the beach 1900 which was the follow-on to the beach 99 that we talked about in the last episode okay
1: it's all coming back full circle
0: so gulfstream international airlines operated in florida And the Bahamas, they went bankrupt in 2010. But a company called Silver Airways bought them. Silver Airways absorbed their root structure. They're still operating today. It's not a pay-for-work program. However, Mm. I looked them up on Glassdoor. They don't have the best reviews. No. Well, I mean, they kind of like took Gulfstream Airlines and turned it into Silver Airways. And they didn't really change much. Okay. But that was where the pilots came from. So now they're working for Pinnacle. Good stuff. Which is a better company. So let's talk about the events. Earlier in that day, a different Pinnacle Airlines flight crew was scheduled to fly the event aircraft from Little Rock to Minneapolis. However, the flight crew received an error message while taking off. They aborted their takeoff. Okay. They went to the hotel, and Pinnacle dispatched maintenance crews. The problem was identified and fixed. The aircraft was needed in Minneapolis the next day, so Flight 3701 was scheduled as an overnight repositioning flight to move the airplane from Little Rock to Minneapolis.
1: Good stuff. Fairly simple. Oh, I mean,
0: well. it's just logistics, right? They're just moving the airplane from point A to point B. Is
1: that pretty common?
0: It's very common. How I've often actually, do you have to do that? I've actually flown an airplane from Paris.
1: Is that creepy? No, like just the whole, like one of those big international flights, they're like massive planes. It's, it's a just... massive
0: airplane. And we it's flew just a you and what, your,
1: your, your co-pilot? There
0: are three three people on the airplane that I flew. You just
1: In this completely empty tube of aluminum. Okay, cool. Right, and you know, right, we're chilling in the aluminum tube. I don't know,
0: and you know, it was kind of cool. So they catered it for all the flight attendants because they didn't know if the flight attendants they were going to stick the flight attendants with us to fly back. So they put the flight attendants on an earlier regular flight, and so we had like fifteen meals. And there were three pilots, so I literally laid out a buffet. But the funny thing is the other pilots had no idea how to operate the oven.
1: I'm proud (laughs) of you. I'm glad that you can work even an airplane oven because you you advanced man.
0: So it is common to reposition airplanes. The two Pinnacle pilots were on what pilots call a ferry flight, which is transferring the empty airplane from Little Rock to Minneapolis so that it could be ready for an early morning flight. And from wheels up, it was clear that the crew intended to see with the relatively empty airplane, with just fuel and fitments, so just fuel and mm-hmm. seats could do. What's and what?
1: What? <laughs> no, no. You just said these two teenage boys took the car on a joyride. Uh-huh.
0: This is that's pretty much what happened. Because here's the thing: when you fly an airplane that is full, it's very heavy.
1: You can't do anything,
0: right? But when it's empty, it is much better performer. And these guys were both relatively new pilots and they this was the first time they'd flown an empty airplane. Oh no. So the performance of an empty airplane is way better. Thrust to weight thing. It makes sense. Okay, I get it. Physics. They take off. Four seconds after takeoff, the pilots pull the airplane off the runway, they level the nose, they pull the gear into the wells, and then they Pull the airplane up kind of like a fighter jet taking off. So they go down the runway, they kind of pull up, they level off, they pull the gear into the well, and then they like do a zoom climb.
1: Like a spaceship.
0: Yeah. They pitch the airplane up to 22 degrees nose up, which is really steep. Why? The limit is 25 degrees. So they're really like, they're really looking up at the sky, 22 degrees up. So the flight data recorder records 1.8 Gs of force just momentarily. And it triggers the airplane stall warning system. So essentially what they've done is they pulled so hard that they've kind of interrupted the the airflow over the wings. Good. And the airplane's like, oh, don't do that.
1: (laughs) The airplane's like, hey, let's not (laughs) again chill. Like, oh, my God. It's like the car warning system being like beep, beep,
0: beep. Exactly. So the average pitch up on takeoff is 15 degrees. These guys were at 22 degrees. Good. That feels really steep. These guys were messing around, so they climb into the low teens, so above ten thousand feet. They yank back on the control column again. This time, they get two point three Gs of force. Lovely. They again trigger the stick shaker, which means the airplane is like saying, "Hey, you're breaking the the airflow over my wings, and if you continue to do this, we're gonna fall. We're gonna the fall sky, out of sky. the sky. <laughs> yeah." So don't do that.
1: That's not like a casual thing to ignore. Like if it was just like, "Hey, please stop for a moment. I need a breather." Like it'd be one thing, but it's like, "Hey, if you do this again, I'm just gonna drop out of this." Like, do you... mm, what? So, and yeah. like, wait, can mission the mission control can see all this, right? Can so we...
0: the air traffic control can see it.
1: And they're like, "Hey guys, could you just not
0: well act like they they can see that they're like <laughs> that gaining thing. altitude really quickly, but they can't really s- like read the g forces. The pilots can't even read the g forces, so that's came from the flight data recorder after okay the event. They climbed to their cruising altitude of thirty seven thousand feet, which is normal for this jet. After briefly leveling off at thirty seven thousand feet, the captain asked the first officer if he wanted to try for forty one thousand feet. That's the maximum altitude." Of the aircraft. And they had something, I guess, at Pinnacle called the 410 Club, which referred to a group of Pinnacle pilots who had then climbed to 41,000 feet.
1: Oh, so like some dumb bro shit. That's it. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cool, 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 cool.
0: So I want to address something quickly in the research that I found. There were rumors around floating around the internet. So I obviously I do a ton of yeah research to look around. There were rumors floating around the internet that the crew had swapped seats. So basically the FO was sitting on the captain's side and the captain was sitting on the FO side. But I actually did not find any any research that would support that. So that's just me debunking a myth. Okay, okay. cool. These guys wanted to join the 410 club. The airplane really is not designed to fly that high.
1: It can, but it's not. That's its to.
0: limit. That's the maximum. This is basically like... Let's see how fast the car will go. Ha-ha. <laughs> what could go wrong?
1: Oh my god! But it's like it's not just a car; it's like a whole airplane.
0: Yeah. So the crew sets the autopilot to climb 500 feet a minute. But it's worth noting that the manual says that that's actually more than twice the recommended climb rate to get to 410.
1: Yeah, that does seem quite aggressive.
0: Yeah. So they were supposed to climb at 200 feet a minute. They set the autopilot to climb at 500 feet a minute. Now that offered no speed protection. But they wanted to climb to 410 and no other climb mode at this point would have allowed them to get to 410. So this is the only way they can do it.
1: Great. Okay.
0: According to the profiles in the manual, that would have only worked up to 38,000 feet. Like I said, 200 feet a minute was where they should have been to climb up there. So the CRJ-200, it climbed. The atmosphere um, offered less lift and robbed the engines of air. Stuck the airplane in a pretty aggressive climb mode. Right? We just talked about that. Yeah. Pinnacle 3701, the speed began to drop. Okay. They did level off. The autopilot angled the nose of the aircraft up and slowed it down further. At forty-one thousand feet, it was going really slow—about one hundred and fifty knots. Okay, it should be going over two hundred. So they're really slow. So they're over fifty knots slower than they should be. Good. Should Not be doing two hundred to two twenty. Just for weight and yeah. Okay. Also, just because you can imagine that if the airplane was tipped up, it's kind of plowing through the air just being forced by the engines it's not
1: going aerodynamically
0: right it's not it's not leveled off what we call planing like a like a boat right so when you get in a speed boat and you kind of come up onto the waves it kind of tips the back end up and then you yeah that's not what happened yeah so they're just pushing the air good so it was close to losing its aerodynamic lift or stalling But to compensate for this, they push the power up. Mo Power. Lovely. The engines are now pushed past their max temperature. It's really bad for the engine. But in an emergency, it can be sustained for a few minutes. Okay. These guys are not in an emergency. They really needed the power to stay up there. The captain and the first officer were now proud members of the 410 club.
1: Yay! (laughs) This is gonna get something's about to happen.
0: A bucket list item, I guess, right?
1: Yeah, right. Checked, done, problem Mm -hmm. solved.
0: I suppose that was the goal. So the captain went to the the galley, the airplane kitchen, and this is kind of funny, to grab cold Pepsis to celebrate. So they're going to drink Pepsi to celebrate.
1: Not Coca-Cola?
0: He went back and he was barely settled down into the... (laughs) Not (laughs) (laughs) Coca-Cola. He goes back to the cockpit. He sits down in his seat. He's barely settled down when the air traffic control calls. And air traffic control says, Are you a CRJ200? I've never seen you guys up at 41. So the air traffic controller is like kind of hinting like...
1: What are you doing up there?
0: The air traffic controller knows this. And he's like, what are you doing up there? So the captain responds. And he says, here's the quote. Yeah, we don't have any passengers on board. So we decided to have a little fun and come up here.
1: How, how did air traffic take that?
0: They didn't respond. They were just, okay. I
1: feel like there should be protocol for this, Shannon.
0: Well, it controls your route and your altitude. But it doesn't really control like it's not they're not going to tell you how to fly the airplane they're just going to say you got to stay at this altitude you got to stay on this route but they're not going to be like hey don't do that they're just going to be like oh well you're cleared there and this is your route so you're good yeah so that's kind of what it is okay so they they hung out that 410 for three minutes the first officer says this thing ain't gonna fucking hold altitude that's what he says the captain says accurate yeah the captain says, it can't. We cruised up here, but it won't stay. Okay. So now the combination of the high altitude and the low airspeed, remember we said that it's kind of like pushing through the air. The airspeed continues to get slower and slower and slower. So they need to go down. They do. The slow speed triggers the airplane stall warning system. So it starts to shake the stick. So basically it's saying, hey, you're too slow. So I'm going to give you a warning. I'm going to shake the... Kind of like the lane departure thing in a car, it's right? It's like,
1: come on, let's go. Like, it's, Hello.
0: Hey, yeah, you're, you're too slow. Do something about it. Now, when the stick shaker comes on, the autopilot turns itself off. That's just how it works. Good stuff. So the aircraft is really trying to warn you that bad shit is about to happen. But the crew, they don't lower the airplane's nose to gain speed. And then what happens if you just ignore the stick shaker? Eventually, it pushes the airplane forward. Because it's like, we're going to either drop a wing or spiral or I'm just going to push the nose over to, to help you guys. It's like in
1: a manual, almost automatically. Like, yeah,
0: it's like automatically like push the. We're damn, doing this. Push the fucking nose down, or you or something. Or we're going to die. That is like, going to happen, right? The nose gets pushed, forced down by the stick pusher. Okay, so it physically okay. pushes the control yoke forward. Now you can overcome that stick pusher. You have to grab it with eighty to hundred pounds of force. So you got to pull really hard. So, think about that barbell, like 100 pounds of force. Yeah. So, the pilot grabs it. The flight data recorder shows that the pilot overrode the stick pusher. So, it's shaking. It's trying to say, hey, you got to descend. So, it's now it's going to try to push the nose over, but the pilot is not even going to let that happen. Because so they just
1: want to stay up there?
0: Well, I think at this point, they know they can't stay. They're kind of in a, in a situation with air traffic control. Because air traffic control is like, what are you doing up there? It's time to eat crow. Now it's time to fess up and say, help us. We fucked up. Can we get lower? Can we go down? But they don't want to do that. They're kind of in a little bit of shock that the airplane is just
1: like, not up. flying
0: anymore. Yeah. yeah. So they're a little bit like, they're, they're, they've got a little bit of a startle reaction. And they're kind of like, oh, well, you know, we're going to stay up here. Maybe we'll get cleared down. Maybe we'll call air traffic control. But in the meantime, we need to comply with this, you know, limit where they've given us fly it for 41,000 410. <sighs> <laughs> so, this happens 3 times.
1: No! And they ignore it.
0: They ignore it. So the air the FDR shows that the stick pusher gets triggered 3 times, but the crew grabs the nose and pulls it back up again with a with 80 to 100 pounds of force. So they're really yanking on it. Now, the crew, to compensate, remember they'd push the thrust levers up. Yep. The, the engine core temperatures reach 2,200 degrees Fahrenheit. That's 600 degrees above where they should have been. But that's only measured by the temperature of the gas coming out.
1: Oh, God. So
0: other parts of the engine can vary in temperature a little bit. Good. Great. Okay. Lovely. Yeah. Awesome.
1: It's getting bad. Things are happening.
0: <sighs> so their fun was short-lived. 3.5 minutes, to be precise. 9.55 p.m., they overpower the stick pusher again. This is the fourth time. Ugh. Now, they pitch the nose up to the point where the wings of the airplane block the air, the incoming ram air. And because the air is so thin up there, both engines flame out. They shut down. Same 41, time. Forty-one
1: thousand feet. <laughs>
0: Both engines flame out. Oh my God, no! The engines on the CJ, it's CRJ, are in the back. They're back. They're in the back by the tail. If you pull the nose up, then the wings block the incoming air to the engines. Like I said, normally it wouldn't be an issue, but at four one zero, was really thin air. The engines are already working hard to compress the air that's there. Plus, they're way over temp. So essentially, they just blocked the air. Both engines flame out because they're not able to s- sustain combustion.
1: That's insane.
0: So The airplane s- drops out of the sky. So the severely over engines quit. Both of them at the same time. We know why. It's not a mystery. The first officer says, we don't have any engines. Really? So now the crew pitches over, and the airplane slowly descends to 36,000 feet. The crew reviews their options, and they decide to restart the engine. They should have one engine, right?
1: Yeah, like one should work.
0: At this altitude with no engines, they're within gliding distance of six airports. But the pilot's... Do not tell air traffic control of their situation.
1: No, 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 no. They're like we can handle this because we are messing around and we don't want to get in trouble.
0: They're at this point, they're going, we don't want to get in trouble. The pilots don't notify ATC. They don't declare an emergency.
1: So they're just still falling out of the sky.
0: Air traffic control can see that they're descending.
1: And they're just like watching, like, oh these they're idiots.
0: Just, you know, we don't get anything from air from air traffic control for a little while. So
1: <laughs> they're just like, let's see how long this can go.
0: So the crew decides their only option at this point to get the engine restarted is what's called a windmill start. It's kind of like push start on a car. You dive the airplane down. You increase the airspeed. It forces air through the engines, gets them spinning. And then you kind of just put fuel on them. And then they they can fire off. Okay. That sounds
1: horrible. It's horrific.
0: And you really have to push the nose forward. And you have to be, let's say... The APU, which is the normal way to start the the airplane, the auxiliary power unit, it can't be started because they're at too high of an altitude. Normally, Lovely. Because it's, it's designed for down low. So you need a little, little help low. from the air. They, they need to be lower. The cruise procedure is to dive and get at least 300 knots of airspeed.
1: That sounds horrible.
0: At 20,000 feet now, so they've gone from 36,000 to 20,000 feet. They've only gotten the airplane up to 236. The crew pulls up and decides to not try a windmill start.
1: Yeah, probably not. No, they're getting close.
0: Yeah, they're getting close. So they slowly descend to 13,000 feet. They attempt to relight the engine using the APU. So when when they start the APU, it starts. Okay, good. It was shut down. I mean, it's back there. It just does its own thing. It's just like basically the starter. It provides them with pressurization and electrics and stuff like that. So, the crew goes through the start procedure. They try four times to start the engine using the APU. Okay. But on each attempt, the engine core, which is the center spinning, records no rotation on the flight data recorder. So, they can't get it spinning.
1: Oh, no. Oh, no.
0: At this point, we're really sure... That there's internal en- engine damage. Yeah, like, cause, yeah, cause, just
1: all of that. It was just dumb.
0: They're pushing that engine over, uh. way over its limits, you know? At 10 03, so now we're eight minutes later, the crew calls ATC and reports that they had a single engine failure. What? <laughs> what? Yeah, they report that they had one engine fail. But
1: they don't have, why are they lying? What?
0: I think they're still trying to save them, trying to save face. They're trying not to get in trouble.
1: But they're gonna die, Shannon. Um,
0: Five minutes later, they're at an altitude of 10,000 feet in a gliding descent, about 1,500 feet a minute. The crew realized they were running out of options for restarting the engines. And 12 minutes after the double engine flame out, they finally tell ATC that they have a double engine flame out. Good stuff. 12 minutes later. Ooh. So now the plane's landing choices. Are severely limited. Well, remember, we said that there were six airports. But now. There are two. Ooh. But they can see one of the airports.
1: Okay, so that's good.
0: Jefferson City, Missouri. But the crew realizes they're in big trouble. Why? The captain said, Dude, we're not going to make this. We're going to hit houses, dude. No. (laughs) That's what happened. Did they Uh, hit houses? The captain was right. Pinnacle 3701 crashed two and a half miles shy of the runway behind a row of houses. On impact, the airplane split apart. It flipped over. It caught fire. Both crew members were killed. But miraculously, no one on the ground was injured and no fires ensued. Wow. So there's an upshot.
1: Yeah. So like the two idiots died because they were being idiots. Yeah. But no one else died. Darwin Award. Mm.
0: There you go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but nobody else died. So that is the end of the story. So let's talk about what happened. The crew decides to see what the airplane can do. And that's sort of like a...
1: Is that common to like pilots?
0: No, no, not common. No. Okay. That's sort of like a whole Mount beer situation. Yeah. So they made a whole bunch of errors. Obviously, they got too slow. They over-tempt the engines, right? They overrode the stick pusher four times. The airplane was really doing its best to say, hey.
1: You're going to die. Uh,
0: yeah. You're, you're working on dying here. But that's not where the story ends. And this is the interesting part. So the engines. So an area of contention during the NTSB hearings about Pinnacle Flight 3701 has been whether the engines did something called core lock. So let me unravel that a little bit. Okay. So under normal conditions, the rotating parts inside a jet engine, they slip by each other really finely. Okay. It's very, very, it's incredibly tight tolerances, but they slip by and they rotate. When an engine is shut down suddenly at high torque, high altitude, or extreme temperatures, and it isn't restarted right away, Metal parts inside the engine begin to cool and contract at different rates. Mm. Does that make sense? No, that makes sense. Now we know this This airplane was well over-tempt. And in rare cases, the metal can contact metal and then prevent the engine from rotating on to do a restart. Okay. ALPA tried to deflect the essentially the stupidity of the pilots and blame the engines. Yep. Okay, investigators pulled apart the right engine. They found that the ends of the high-pressure turbine blade, which were made of titanium alloy had been liquefied.
1: They were liquefied?
0: <laughs> they re-solidified to other parts behind them. Oh my God. So the melting point of titanium is around... Uh, titanium alloy is around 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit. They
1: overheated the engines like... To
0: the point where it literally melted. However, the left engine, that was the right engine. The left engine showed n- no such damage and they actually are unsure as to why it couldn't be restarted.
1: Weird. Hm.
0: So I think what happened is... And this is just my theory. I think what happened is everything was just expanding and contracting at the time. And they couldn't get it to spin. They couldn't get it to turn over. Later, probably, they, it probably would have cooled off and worked. But? But the right engine was melted on the inside. Jesus. So we can tell like the, the crew was doing some dumb shit with the engines.
1: So what, was the, who, what did they actually settle upon?
0: You're just ahead of me, which is perfect. So the NTSB issued its final report on Pinnacle Flight 3701. In its report, the NTSB concluded that the probable cause of the accident was pilots' unprofessional behavior. Yep. Deviation from standard operating procedure. Yep. And poor airmanship. Yeah. Pretty smart.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Second, the pilot's failure to prepare for an emergency landing in a timely manner, which includes communicating with air traffic controllers immediately after the emergency that they had lost both engines and the availability of landing sites. Three, the pilot's improper management of the double engine failure checklist.
1: Jeez. Wow.
0: What else could have gone wrong?
1: (laughs) Just like everything. Oh my God. They should have just, once it happened, they should have ate their humble pie and like told air traffic control and it probably would have been fine.
0: I think they They would have
1: crash landed, but it would. they would
0: have landed at an airport. They would have glided to an airport, exactly, which is very, which is a, which is difficult,
1: but doable, and
0: yeah, which is difficult but doable, especially if you have people on your team like air traffic control going turn this way now, do this, and they will help you out a lot. So, dual engine failure is something we do practice in the simulator, mm. and it's something that that is important for pilots to practice. There have been many cases of dual engine failures, sometimes from fuel exhaustion. The most recent one was uh, Miracle in the Hudson. Yep right where he ingests a bunch of birds and both engines fail. Mm-hmm. And he managed to land in the Hudson. Good course of action, right? It's the only thing he could have done. But the point is it does happen. It's not common at all, but dual engine failures do happen.
1: And like therefore you guys have as you said, regulations like for, for it. You train for it. Yeah, we train for it. So So these guys were just <sighs> dumb in every manner.
0: This whole thing is just a mess. Oh, it's just a mess. These guys are basically, like I said, they win the Darwin Award. Wow. So let's talk about what's changed since then. Okay. I actually flew on one of these airplanes the other day, and I verified that this is true. So since the crash, every airline who operates CRJ-200 has set the maximum altitude at 37,000 feet. Makes sense. So they're not allowed to climb above 37,000 feet anymore. They have also added detailed climb profiles to the pilot's guide. Okay. Okay. So that they know exactly how fast they should be climbing, et cetera. Airlines have simulator training profiles, which incorporate dual engine failures. We said that, but now they do that at regional airlines as well. And something we do now is also high altitude stall recovery. So we didn't do this for a long time. It's basically like if you get too slow really high up, what do you do? Mm -hmm. That's important because... When you are recovering from a high altitude stall, you actually have to push the airplane forward to get the speed back. Because a stall it has
1: to fall to it get has the speed to, back. Basically.
0: Yeah, it's gotta like gain some speed over the wings. No,
1: that makes sense. To
0: to regain its lift.
1: I'm sure it's not fun, but it makes Power sense. Power
0: will not compensate. And so when it's we it's too heavy. Air's too thin, the engines aren't making enough. Thrust up there, really, to it's make a, a difference. It's a giant plane. It's a giant airplane, and so <laughs> that's actually kind of an interesting point. So we did a dual engine failure in the simulator. Dual engine failure at altitude with a stall. So this situation, and if you do it at forty-one thousand feet, you recover at about thirty-five thousand feet. Okay, that that kind of describes what happened here. Yeah, they just. But if you do it with the engines operating, you recover at about thirty-six thousand feet. So okay. there's really not much difference between the two scenarios because the engines just aren't making that much power up there they further stressed the importance of following the limitations of the aircraft which
1: makes sense yeah
0: i mean these guys but i
1: like that the airplane like the airport and the airplane have to be like all on their stuff now because two idiots yeah did something they have to make everything stricter because two people did not act appropriately well
0: olivia they say every regulation is written in blood Because... That's
1: horrible. Yeah,
0: but it's true. Our rules under FAA, Federal Aviation Regulations, they're written in blood. They're written because of incidents and accidents like this.
1: So it's like after this happens that then they fix it. Yeah, they'll
0: change it. They'll Mm. fix it. Like we said, since the crash, most airlines set the 37,000 feet as the maximum altitude. Which makes sense. Not the manufacturer. The manufacturer was like, you can go to 410 if you follow exactly how we tell you to do it.
1: The way we tell you to do it.
0: Exactly. But... The airlines are like, no, don't, don't do that, don't do that. So honestly, very little can be done when a flight crew is hell bent on one goal, which in this case was joining the 410 club.
1: Great. So we should just be screening for pilots better.
0: These pilots operated in passenger service, and they were probably. I couldn't find any bad marks on their training records. I couldn't find anything that was really like a
1: A warning or a precursor.
0: They just they broed out together.
1: That's and they horrible. were like,
0: hey, let's see what this will do. Because they, neither of them had flown an empty airplane before. They also both came from Gulfstream International Airlines. So they kind of had that like bond. Culture and
1: that bond. Okay. They had like
0: a little bond. They were like, yeah, they were like bros. They were like, oh, I remember you from.
1: Mm, I hate that. <laughs> uh,
0: well, the good news is they didn't kill. Anyone. Anyone else. Just themselves. Yeah. I found <laughs> it funny that they got Pepsi to celebrate though. That was cool.
1: I know. Why a Pepsi?
0: I don't know. Yeah, eh, whatever. It was 2004. Times were different then. People drank Pepsi. Eh, I don't know. Cried, I don't know. Cried more, I don't know. Um, okay, so my sources. I use Wikipedia okay. as usual. I use Wikipedia to get the sources. Essentially, I read it, it gives me a little brief, and then I go down to the bottom and there's lots of sources down there. So I mm-hmm. use those. I use the New York Times article called Just Before Dying, which was published in, which was published in 2005. I use the 2006 popular mechanics article called what went wrong the crash of pinnacle flight 3701 i also used the website darwinawards.com lovely i used the official ntsb cockpit transcript and the flight data recorder report and i used the ntsb final accident report okay thorough Those those are my sources those are your sources yeah respectable huh respectable yeah so so that's the whole thing what do you think
1: It makes me concerned of, like, how certain people can behave in certain situations. I don't know. I'm glad that they, like, it was the empty airplane that made them want to do this opposed to, like, them being on an entire plane with people. Like, I guess maybe there's more responsibility (laughs) when you, like, have the passengers. I don't know. It's still, it doesn't fill me with a lot of faith of, like, certain people in certain scenarios.
0: I honestly believe they wouldn't have done this with passengers on board, though.
1: I agree. I mean... That's a whole nother thing,
0: because they would have been held accountable with passengers on board, but without passengers on board, they were like kids without a babysitter. <sighs> hey, let's get yeah. up on the roof because the babysitter's not here. The
1: babysitter's not here. Oh, that's bad,
0: right. So I
1: mean, I'm surprised honestly, that there's not like more of a history of people doing dumb stuff in empty planes.
0: Oh, there is. We're getting there.
1: oh, we're getting there. It's it worse.
0: <laughs> we're getting there.
1: How often are there empty planes like flying around
0: a lot. I don't yeah. like
1: that. That's it's, where that jet fuel eco flight yeah, comes with, from. I
0: agree with that. But that but there are empty planes flying around a lot. We have to fly them to maintenance. We fly them to ferry flights like this. Sometimes a, a flight delay results in an extra airplane being needed, which means then they take the airplane to another place. And then once it gets to the other place, they have to bring it back. The airline that I work for uses a base in Asia to do a lot of their aircraft maintenance. And so... Sometimes I, I get a schedule that shows that I fly from Hong Kong to Hawaii in an empty airplane. I don't like that. It's not dangerous if we follow the rules. It's just like having passengers on board if we follow the rules. It's creepy, though. It's a little creepy.
1: It's way creepier.
0: Okay. Well, I anyway, that's it. Thanks for being here again, of Olivia. Of course. No I really problem. appreciate it. Thanks for the input, and um, maybe we'll do it again.
1: Yep. Sounds good.